Hey, what's going on out there, guys? Welcome to another Addicted Fishing Podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Jordan and Marlon are out in assignment. But, you know, actually, before I get to that, I've got a very big announcement that I know you guys may have heard. You may have seen it online in our emailers and on some of our forums. But we actually had to, unfortunately, postpone the drop. Uh, our fall, or yeah, I guess our fall drop, October 23rd, is going to be moved till the 30th. Um, unfortunately, we had some shipping delays and we've had some production delays, not on our end actually for once, um, but we want to make sure we've got some of those cool items you guys are going to be waiting for. So big news real fast, October 30th, good reminder, Sunday right after the Addicted Life, I believe 730, um, I think is going to be the time for the drop. And so, yeah, it should be, uh, should be there, should be ready. We got some rain coming next week. There's going to be a lot of good items, a lot of good a lot of good apparel, some maybe some backpacks and uh, some special lure drops. So should be good. Be sure to check that out October 30th. And tonight, uh, yeah, we're sitting here a couple days before the big rain. And you know what? We figured it was a best time in the world to bring in uh, our good friend, Mr. Bob Kratzer tonight. And it's just going to be him and I on this podcast. So what have you been up to with all this dry water? <laughs> Grinding them out. Grinding them Grinding out. Grinding them out. You know, I had to move around a little bit, coastal closures, that kind of stuff. So having to move around, but, uh, you know, we're finding some. We've just got to grind them. They're there to be caught. So for those that, uh, you know, aren't paying attention too much to like, you, you, so you live in Forks. I live in Forks. And right now you'd be fishing up there and, and doing all that. But we had, I mean, we've had, I think, 67 days uh, with, I think it was like 67 days and then we had like a trace amount of rain at Portland and then like it's been dry another like 30. Yep. Like so everything's super low. They shut down like 50 plus rivers yep. in the Washington coast and Puget Sound. So yeah, we're having to move around a little bit. Some of the rivers, um, <laughs> some of the rivers around here that aren't closed, well, they're just not fishable right. <laughs> either. And, so, and people are, you know, to be honest with you with that closure, it's, we don't like it. We hate it. But at the same time, I mean, like the whole river was under 200 CFS. That's insane. Under 200. That's a trickle. Right. And so, so that's like, that's an all-time record for low water. And if you think and about so, you know, the closure was probably a warranted deal to really help protect these salmon coming in. And we, there's a lot of them coming in. We just got to get them moving up the river where they can get up and spawn and produce more babies for us in the future. So probably a wise idea. And now we'll get rain and hopefully we'll get open back up. I mean, I guess if you think about like some of the coastal stuff, you know, there's not like glaciers and stuff up in the hills that constantly feed the levels, you know, like we right. do see somewhere, you know, coming off Helens and Hood and, and, uh, you know, Adams and whatnot. So right. I think that probably warranted the 200 CFS. That's yeah. crazy. Cause that's like the low flow, one of my normal rivers that I really like to fish. So I can really understand 200 CFS oh, and that's, that's a, nothing It's a trickle <laughs> for the hoe. Yeah. It's a trickle and those poor fish can't. They just can't go anywhere. What's the metric that they're going to open those back up? So hopefully by the time you guys are hearing this, I'll actually think Clint said he'd have it out by the weekend. So, you know, uh, we should be seeing some rain right about now. You guys might be listening to <laughs> listening to this, listening to the rainfall on the roof. But what's <laughs> the metric go. for them to reopen that? So um, up on the Quileute system, the Solduck River has a gauge on it. And um, we want to see the department, when I talked to them a couple of days ago, was looking for uh, the Solduck River to get to 15.3 feet. Um, once it gets to 15, three feet and it stays there for multiple days. So we can't get there and have it drop below it. It has to get above it and stay above it for at least three days. Now is 15, three, like an average flow or a low it's flow? It's a low flow. That's a low it's flow. It's a low flow. Okay. That's, so that's not a lot. 
it, but it is enough to get. So it can't touch it and then bomb back down. Right, right. Doesn't look like. What do you think it's gonna? I mean, I looking at. I thought saw some stuff that Danny posted for the for you North guys, and it looks like you're getting almost three quarters to an inch. We're gonna get oh, three quarters to an inch on like, Friday night, and then back off a little bit Saturday, Sunday, and then start again on Monday. And it looks pretty wet all the next yeah. week. So I'm hoping, and and if I was a betting man, I would say by Friday the 28th. Oh, that far. Thursday the 27th. Six, seven days of full rain. It's gonna take the. Yeah, that's what I would think. We might we might see an, an opener. I'm not. Don't count me well, on of that. Course. But just. You know, well, knowing knowing how I'm just, just a good I'm, idea, that's when we might see something. And I'm just gonna say it: the state's so fast to closing, but they are sure as heck slow to reopen it <laughs> <laughs> with everything. Even if they have a year to talk about it, <laughs> kind of like what we're gonna be talking about a little bit tonight, because we are now with the rain coming. You know, we're in we're in the middle of coho season right now. Even though for some people it hasn't felt like it's start, but the reality right. is, it's like we are <laughs> at least halfway through, if not all the way. Right. But uh, it's time to talk some steelhead. Yep. Coming right around the corner. And on the forefront of, even though for us, we haven't been talking steelhead, but I'm trying to bring all you guys into the fray because Bob's been on the North Coast Steelhead Advisory Group, and they've been talking steelhead all year. Yep. And what we're talking about is everything from Willapa Bay north into the Forks, and then how far, I guess, does it go into the Puget Sound? Are you talking like Port Townsend Rivers, too, or do you talk like, where's like your cutoff for what? Um, it does go around the coast a little bit, but not very much. Doesn't so go far into the mostly, straight. It's mostly like Elwha, Elwha River down to Willapaw Bay stuff. Got it. It's okay, pretty it's much pretty much the around. Washington coast much, minus yeah. Long Beach. Yeah, but yep. obviously not much flowing on Long Beach. But the, uh, but yeah, you guys have been talking it all year. You want to yep. give everyone a quick little rundown on this Steelhead Advisory Group, like some of the goals and objectives, and the. Then I'll get my piece at it. <laughs> well, lay the groundwork for us. So, you know, when we got closed a couple of years ago, there was a group of us that really worked hard, worked with some legislators um, to come up with a plan to look at our steelhead runs from year to year and, you know, have some form of management plan looking forward to where we're not in December guessing whether we're going to be fishing or not fishing, right? So we're trying to formulate a plan. So we came up with a budget proviso. Uh, Legislators sponsored it, got it through, passed through, put it on top of the state. They created a coastal advisory group. And the coastal steward advisory group uh, was formulated with the department. And basically they picked 12 individuals um, from around the area to work on a management plan for all of our steelhead runs um, from Willapa Bay North. And so we've been doing that. And we've gone, basically we've had meetings. There are two to three hour meetings, basically once a month or once every other month, um, starting last, man, I guess we're almost looking at, started earlier in the spring, I guess. Yeah. And so um, we're wrapping it up. We're down to the last one. November 15th will be the last meeting. And the state is working on a draft proposal that basically, when they're done with that, will be put in front of the director. If it's a, When it's approved through the director, um, then it will be approved through the – they need to put it in front of the commission. The commission will look at it, ask their questions. If they approve it, then we'll go to the Senate or the legislation – um, and present it to them as, you know, you wanted a budget, you, you gave us a proviso, you gave us marching orders to come up with a, 
management plan for these coastal steelhead streams. And mm. this is what we've came up with as a framework, a framework for a plan basically moving forward. And we've gone, man, we've gone through everything. We've gone through, um, man, um, man, fishing regulations, hatcheries, um, gone through conservation measures. We've gone through, um, all the stream stuff, um, just about everything that we can for the most part. This last group, you know, um, this last meeting is basically going to be finalizing it. And our last group meeting, will be talking about like further, um, further things that we need to look at further studies, further things that we need to look at that are kind of out of the norm for steelhead. Um, we've looked at various studies. We've, like I said, talked about, um, the environment, kind of everything, you know, what, what are all the things that steelhead, struggle with and why are some of our steelhead runs not doing as well and what can we do to help our wild steelhead populations is what we've basically talked about. What you can do to help. I want you to stick that I want you to stick that in your mind. And how do we have sustainable fishing opportunities Mm -hmm. within this parameters, right? So when we have these low returning populations of steelhead, how do we create or craft a fishery that would allow us to have access to the hatchery fish and have some fishing opportunities versus versus total closures. And and so we've kind of basically formulated this plan um, all the way through. And um, there's varying degrees of people on the on the advisor group and there's some that are more conservative and some that are not. And I mean, everybody there cares about wild steelhead, and we all have our ideas. Or their, or their pocketbook. Oh, I said it. I'm sorry. Go <laughs> or on. our ideas on how, yeah. you know, what we should do <clears throat> to help these wild steelhead populations. So a sport group came up and pushed this budget proviso. Correct. And basically told the state to make a steelhead advisory group, basically to help kind of like set the stage for what we're going to framework for bad forecasts and then put the state in charge of, placing people on this advisory group pretty much yeah i mean the legislation basically said mm-hmm. we want you to come up with a formulated know, plan and right. we would like you to use mm-hmm. stakeholders stakeholders okay to create the plan so question then because i know quite a few people like from the areas that this affects guides in the areas users in the areas that applied to this advisory group and they were not added to it um so I mean, any, any elaboration on that or anything that, because you would think that the state would want their input as well. But what I, what I believe is from looking at the docket on how many people and, and what these organizations that represent, what we see is a bunch of wild fish lobby in there. I mean, to the tune of, I think eight out of the 12. And then we have a couple publics um, and one is very outspoken online that he is very much, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're beer drinking buddies with the wild fish guys. So the reality is, is there's very few representation on probably, I'd say, the largest user group, um, uh, you know, which would be steelheaders and sportsmen sure. uh, on that advisory group. And now they're setting the framework for moving forward. Um, and honestly, I, I kind of happen to believe that, you know, what they're pushing and what cause I've listened in on a couple of meetings, I've gotten updates from people and 
And the reality is, is that these guys are, I don't really think they're taking, I'm just going to say everything. I'm going to say this for another piece in the podcast here, but everything into account as far as when they're trying to figure out this framework. And then on top of that too, we have to realize that this has kind of already been done um, for the Puget Sound with the Quicksilver study um, of which there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, I'm not going to say sacrifices made from like the sports side of things, but there was, I mean, a lot of, um, you know, where we did, they decided that they would, you know, do a couple broodstock programs here, one summer broodstock program, one winter for the whole Puget Sound. Like that doesn't make sense. There's dozens and dozens of rivers. Um, and then even after that was done and that program was done, the, you know, one of the wild fish groups then sued <laughs> over the broodstock program that they just spent a year figuring out with the Quicksilver report. Um, so I really question, you know, um, some of the things and I was going to ask you a couple more questions as far as like, what is this advisor group? And, and I'm just going to say it right off the bat is the first biggest piece, you know, missing from this advisor group as you guys are finalizing it is there's the tribes have a huge, huge stake in what the state does with hatchery plants, um, with forecasting, you know, figuring out who, when they can fish and, and whatnot. And a lot of these, I mean, we're talking all the way from the Chehalis Basin, all the way to the Solduck, the Ho, Quileute, everything. Mm-hmm. There is a huge, I mean, they are, they are a user group. Yep. Like we split, you know, the take, you know, if you will, even though we don't kill, you know, wild steelhead intentionally, um, you know, but with our mortality rates, there's a take in there from the on the sport side and on the on the tribal side. And I'm not going to say good, bad, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, these guys have not been brought into the steel advisory group or any kind of input or output, I guess, from them in this process. Correct? Uh, not in none of our meetings. Um, I've had conversations with staff from DFW, and they said that they've had some limited conversations with the co-managers to kind of start the conversations with them. And I questioned that early on also. And essentially the department is just like, we're managing the sport fishery and we're coming up with this framework. And our plan is to, to put a package together, get it passed through our department, get it passed through the commission, get it to the legislation, tell them this is not only what we want to do for management this is the kind of money that it's going to be required to do this right because there's increased creeling there's a bunch of other stuff that goes along with this so we're they're going to ask be asking for money along with this and then once they get this done go to the tribes and say okay here's what we've had looking forward going forward with our steelhead management this is kind of a group we put together this is what we've looked at and and they basically have openly admitted that, like, hey, what we have, what we've done here doesn't necessarily mean this is exactly what's going to happen. It means that we have a good framework going forward. We'll work with the tribe to try to do that. Most people you talk to says, and I, I come what somewhat agree, it kind of seems a little bit backwards. Well, right, because I, mean, I, I understand that may be flipped over. Right, and I understand right? that some of this framework includes the removal of hatchery steel and hatchery programs in some of these rivers. Um, there's nothing on the docket right now that talks about removal. There is the possibility of, so basically when you have a system and I'll say it, you have the Shahalas, yeah, mm-hmm. you have the Shahalas or the, or the, uh, hump tulips they have hatcheries on them. Right. So 
the Shayless has three hatcheries on it. The Home Tulips has one. Um, yeah, three and one, I believe. And so, um, anyways, those are a couple of the streams that are very concerning right now with the number of wild fish that are returning to them. And so, those are the biggest concerns. And we've had a couple years now. This will be two years in a row that basically the Shayless system has been closed mm-hmm. with no fishing um, by any buddy co-managers and or or sportsmen so um i'm gonna speculate just as purely a speculation that the forecasted numbers that we're gonna see for this year coming up mm-hmm. probably are still not gonna put us above spawning levels particularly in the Shahalis. maybe we reach it in the hump tulips um but not the Shahalis. so that would be three years in a row of, of poor returns um, obviously with poor returns and no fishing opportunities, you know, one of the concerns that they've shared is, you know, we're raising all these hatchery fish that are going back that mm-hmm. basically nobody's fishing for. Right. And even though they have fairly high, um, trap numbers where they're getting the majority of the fish back, there is a certain amount that they're not obviously. Thank heavens. Their oh. concern not mine. Mm-hmm. Their concern is that those fish are spawning in the wild, possibly doing, you know, we've heard it all, right? We've always heard this, mm-hmm. that wild fish are spawning in the wild, or hatchery fish are spawning in the wild and possibly hurting the wild fish populations. So, so one of their ideas is like, if we don't start seeing some numbers of fish getting up there, then one thing they would look at is to reduce the numbers of hatchery plants Right. in some of those streams and reduce them down to basically bare minimum numbers just to get enough brood stock back so that they can maintain the hatchery run, right? right? So they would do that for a period of years, right? And then after a period of years, and I believe the period was three, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, they would revisit the whole thing. And if we still don't see wild fish numbers getting up there where they need to, mm-hmm. then there is, there would be a discussion of, do we continue? Well, I guess, I guess if we can, you're right. I guess, systems. I guess the point is that if you can't fish on them, then what's the point? But there has been a lot of talk of, and, and knowing the people that sit on that advisory group and seeing what they talk about and seeing what they post and listening to them in the meeting there, there, there seems to be a very, uh, I, I would say that they're almost, uh, they're almost gnawing on the bone a little bit, waiting to just basically, like sure. I said, reduce those now. Now, couple sure. coupling that, so like I said, so going back to the tribe talk though, like so then then what happens when they get rid of those hatchery fish? Like the tribe doesn't have any input on saying, you know, why don't you guys put some more hatchery fish in here? Why don't you guys bolster bolster it? Let's let's start a wide basin wide broodstock program so we can have a fishery. I mean, they're I mean, let's be honest, like they Good, bad, and different. Wherever, wherever you agree with it, they have a major, major stake as far as stakeholders in these discussions. In the last meeting that we had, this was being discussed, and and I basically raised my hand and said, "Oh, you guys, just just to let you know, just <laughs> let you know here yeah. that you know okay. the whole talk of reducing hatchery plants and or removing hatcheries down the road." Mm-hmm. I said, you know, when it comes to our co-managers, that's going to be a non-starter conversation. 
Exactly. Like that, that's part of their livelihood, how they survive. And if we're getting rid of the one fish that they can harvest, right? You know, right? Because what what are we going to do if if we remove all those hatcheries? Are we then they're just going to harvest the wild ones? Well, they're on not. an already depleted run, which means no, mm-hmm. they're not. Which means they're not going to have any fishery at all, right? right? So they really rely upon those hatchery fish to maintain their livelihood and their fisheries. So they're going to be adamantly opposed. Okay. To removing so whatever hatchery fish right. or so, hatchery so the, numbers. So, so the idea is that the plan that basically gets formulated out, like, I mean, I'm not going to say that we're going to need a rubber stamp, but the reality is, is they're entitled, I think, to like half the impacts of yep. those fish. And I know there was an agreement in the Chehalis Basin not to net, but I mean, once we're out of the picture, I'd assume that they are going to take those impacts, even if we don't fish and go fishing. It's like you said, it's kind of what they do. Um, not to say that they're not conservation minded sure. or anything yeah. like that, but at, at what point in time do they realize, well, the state's not doing anything about it. Um, and now that for these next two pieces we want to talk about, because within this, uh, let me back that up. I want to finish that. I want to finish that statement real quick, because if we're not going to continue that stocking and we're not going to continue doing anything, then what's the point? they're not going to come back on their own. Like we have to have that realization. We haven't done, we haven't done any other work in that basin, whether it be, um, you know, some massive dam removal to opening up some giant spawning area, whether it's to, uh, take care of any of these predation levels that are in the lower basin, like the cormorants, the smallmouth bass, anything. We haven't done anything else in that basin except for talk about the removal of some extra hatchery fish what makes us think that these fish are going to just come back i i would agree with you in that aspect and i i that's a concern that i have and a concern well, that it's and, a concern and, that i have voiced it's a concern that i have voiced um that that i don't i'm not positive and i don't believe that if we just by just taking away the sportsmen mm-hmm, and not right. us fishing on them yeah and and you know, obviously, between the tribe and us, we do have an impact on these fish. But even just that impact, I don't removing that impact is not enough. Exactly. To, re, to it's two percent. It's two percent of the problem. And right. and let's just say like the problem is 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 a number of wild steelhead dead. Let's just call it that. The tribes do take a lot of wild steelhead out of there. Sure. Like that's a very significant impact. Like sure. I said, good, bad, different. Whether we like it or not. They do. And to not to have them at the table as far as a stakeholder in this meeting just seems asinine. I, yeah. Moving yeah. on. So, yeah. so in the other part of it too, the other part of it too is that within the last year, this summer, there was a study that was published um, kind of back everybody up a little bit because a lot of the wild fish lobby from 20, 25 years ago really came, um, a lot of the studies came from the Mid-Columbia, yep. the Hood River study. Yep. And basically there were these studies that came out and said that um, that basically the, the, the uh, you know, influx of, of winter steelhead, hatchery winter steelhead, excuse me, uh, affected wild steelhead populations. Right. And so... You know, twenty twenty five years, including broodstock programs, including even broodstock. a one time spawning. They really of did. Wild they really fish. didn't. They really didn't break out. They really didn't break out hatchery fish, but really had to do with segregated stocks. Yeah. 
Um, because obviously those fish aren't supposed to spawn. That's why the state chose to do those stocks because those fish don't spawn successfully on the timing that they come back. And uh, so they tried to create two runs that were separate. So they had some studies that came out that said if that run, if that segregated run mingles with the wild run, it passes on bad genetics and can then reduce the productivity of the wild fish. Okay. 27 years later, we have a study, and I'm just going to read the title for you guys right now. It says hatchery propagation did not reduce natural steelhead productivity relative to habitat conditions and predation in the mid-Columbia River subbasin. Hood River, Wind River, stuff like that. We've seen this before. And like I said, if we think that on this Chehalis Basin, we're going to remove these hatchery fish down to a level to just kind of propagate the run and just kind of, you know, keep things strangling on. We've done this in the Wind River. We've done this in the Clackamas with the Clackamas study in 2018. We've done this in these, and this is spelling it out. And there's a few reasons why. One of them I want to point out because we talked about predation. Um, where they talked, uh, what was the term? I got it right here. I have it in my notes. Um, oh, demonstrated. Oh, present predator swamping. They're basically the idea that if you do put hatchery fish in a river, that predators then also eat. If they're going to eat, let's say they're going to kill a hundred smolts a day and half of them are hatchery fish. Well, guess what? They kill half of them are hatchery fish, but if they're going to kill a hundred smolts a day and those hatchery fish are there, what are they killing? 100 smolts. 100% wild. So they really go into this thing and they talk about, however, predator swamping and parental uh, or preferential feeding on hatchery fish have also been shown to improve the survival of natural produced emigrating salmonids. Um, demonstrated that, oh, and then they had a study that said demonstrated that predator swamping reduced predation of outmigrating sockeye salmon in British Columbia and observed higher vulnerability in hatchery steelhead and Caspian term predation in the lower Columbia River because of their larger body size. Basically, it talks about how the hatchery fish kind of stay at the surface. The birds kind of pick on them and they act as a buffer for the wild fish, which also explains why when they removed all these hatchery runs from the Wind River, from the Hood River, from the Clackamas, why the runs, the steelhead did not come back right. outside of environmental factors like the ocean because everything's pretty cyclical. Right. And they've got a lot of good evidence in this study that shows like the timeline for like the last 27 years in these mid-Columbia rivers where they removed that. They, they did this. They've done this. Right. Nothing happened. Right. Have they talked about this study at all in the advisory group over the last year? This is not new news. If I no. can read it, they can read it. No. Hasn't been brought up. No. Why? No idea. Why yeah. hasn't it been brought up? I'm bringing it up. Well, okay, you're bringing it up. Why isn't our paid state steelhead, quote-unquote steelhead biologist bringing right. it up? Right. Why? No idea. This is pretty resounding. And then let's couple that, and I don't even need to talk about Tillamook because I know all you guys out there listening. Like, I don't need to talk about how successful that is. Like, let's ignore that. Why hasn't this been brought up? You would think this would be a major factor because they used some of these studies that showed supposed negative impact from hatchery steel. That's what they are like hanging their hat on when they're talking about reducing these hatchery plants in the Chehalis Basin. Right. They think they're going to remove them and they're just going to come back willy nilly. Right. And we've talked about like new, new, uh, new studies and new science and new stuff like that. Right. Really? Yeah. We haven't done this one. There, I think this we, one's pretty, this it's one. a pretty big one to talk about. Just the same one with like the Idaho study that was out. Right. 
same thing, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, where they actually, and and what's disgusting about the Idaho study is they actually have sport mortality rates associated all into there on hard tagged fish that were trapped in a basin. So there wasn't like this, you didn't have this variability like you do on the coast where like you could get a huge washout. And, you know, you have like, they literally had a very trapped population of fish that they studied the freaking nuts off of and found that sport mortality wasn't really, uh, was it, what do we have on the coast? What are they calling? Like, Eleven percent or nineteen percent or something—I can't remember what it was. Oh, I know it's night. Yeah, what's the mortality rate for those guys? Well, we we talking about for sportsmen. Yeah, for on the north coast, like what are the biologists well, calling? Ten percent. Ten percent. Ten percent is what we use. Right. For which 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 they're and even finding. the biologists would tell you that they don't believe right. that it's that high. Well, it's not. But but Bro- that's Bro- the Bro- number that was agreed that. upon. I don't even remember what year it was. It was agreed upon number so to manage my point is, with the co-managers a long time ago, and I don't remember when it was. So it, it now that that's like the Idaho study's been out, and of course we have a new um, study coming out of the Cowlitz River that's been going on for a while, and we're just about to get the preliminaries on or the numbers on that. And I've I heard the preliminary numbers on that are like they're almost like three percent. That sound, which is weird, because guess, because guess, guess, know. guess what, it, and guess what it is down in the in the Tillamook Basin on yeah. those broodstock programs, yeah. less than three. It's like two and a half, right. and that's honestly yeah. because that's adult capture in hatchery mortality they see across all species. Yep. So there's just a bunch of fish that basically die in hatcheries because they do, right. like because they do. Right. But but basically the handle of us transporting them three different times it doesn't affect it. Right. It's uh, but that's not, but that's another new chunk of science that's just not even being talked about in this fray in the fray. Well, so, so, so some of these frameworks come out, you know, with this, where we're talking about no fishing out of boats, um, you know, no fishing these times of years. And they're, they're using a mortality rate that's three times higher. But the reality is, is this has been done for 20 years down in Tillamook. How many dead steelhead have you seen on the riverbanks? Like in your 35, 40 year career, like when you're up there fishing every damn day, Bob, you know, fish that are caught and released yeah. that you know were caught and released. You know, yeah. bright steelhead that you know were caught and released. Probably, if I see two or three a year, that's a big year. A like big you, year. Yeah, you don't. And you're there every day. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. The if ten percent, if ten percent, if ten percent of all the steelhead that you handled alone right. in those rivers, you'd right. be seeing them. You'd be if seeing a lot of them. Ten percent. I mean, there right. are days years ago where the sole duck were on a busy day you knew that there was probably 300-plus fish caught. Right. There should be 30 dead steelhead laying every day. somewhere. So every day. So in within right. one week time, that's 200 of them dead on the bank, and you're right. seeing two to three a year? Right. Yeah. There, but there would be 200 to 300 dead on that bank for right. that week. For right. that week. Right. Now it's a you know 12-week yeah. season. Yeah. It's really low. It doesn't jive. I'm hoping this next week, I mean, that's one of the things we'll be talking about this next this next week is, is further studies, and I'm going to – We'll be oh, putting these studies I might out have to there. Listen. We might have to listen to this. Well, on you know making sure that we look at this right. study you, you, from I'll, the Mid Columbia. Make sure we look at the study right. from Idaho. Make sure that we look. There was another study out of Canada. Um, you know there is new science out there that's come out in the last two or three years that we really need to look at as right. we you and, know and formulate this plan. And here's the icing on the cake for new studies. We, analy- we analyzed the influence of hatchery steelhead on natural orange steelhead recruitment over a 27-year period of record within the Hood River Basin and found that PHOS and PNI, the primary metrics for inferring genetic risks of hatchery programs in the Pacific Northwest, 
were not associated with changes in adult winter steelhead productivity. Okay. Right. So, yeah. So, so why are we reduced? So, again, you know, we have this, yeah, over talking arch of, of, yeah. of reduction because we think that that's going to help the Chehalis Basin. What do, you no, th- I, what do you what do you think it's going to do? What's your personal opinion on it? What have you seen in the last forty years of being actually on the river? Oh, I don't think it's going to do anything. No. I think all it's doing, all it's going to do for us is remove a fishery. Remove us. It's going to yeah. remove a fishery. It's going to remove us from from having a fishery in those systems. And I personally don't believe it's going to help. See, I actually and I've think seen I actually hatcheries taken away. I don't know, how many hatcheries have we taken away across the state? Right, you know, of and hatchery of abundance of hatchery steelhead that for to, we to haven't me, had any. There's there's not one that we can say we took hatchery fish away, and we've seen an increase in population of the wild stocks. Right, and depending on what you want to call like true wild or what you want to call a successful fishery that is for all stakeholders in the state, right? Um, I almost find it literally negligence that we are not doing more in these basins where we want to remove the sport, which fine, remove the sport. Like if I truly believed that that would make a damn bit of difference, then I would be the first guy saying, yep, we need to remove the sport. If I said remove, you know, these broodstock programs, which are insanely successful in Oregon, do it but they won't even look at it and at what point in time do we have to like hang the accountability of these production of these wild runs on our decision makers like on our biologists there has to be accountability to me it's almost negligence that they will not look at this stuff well and what's the one study that's been removed up there was a one that was super successful and that was a soul duck right right that snare creek broodstock program went for 30 years and it was massively successful um, big, beautiful fish and everything, right? And so, um, I'm not the even calling. I'm not that real, one real really fast. didn't have any studies around it, so we don't have numbers, right, of what kind of fish were there. But in the last meeting, it was mentioned that that was one place where we removed a hatchery mm-hmm. and saw an increase in the number of steel early time steelhead in the upper Solduck. So I made a reference to like, hold on. Are you referring to the broodstock program? So if you're referring to the broodstock program, that's exactly what the broodstock program was made for. And that was to increase the right. early timed now, wild stocks of steelhead to the upper Solduck, which I would say it obviously did exactly what it was intended to do. Well, here's a question then. So if those early stocked in the Solduck just came back, like just magically, did yeah. any other rivers around it that no. did not? Oh, they didn't. Oh, no. whoa. I'm going to cut, cut you right whoa. off because I knew where you were going. Shocker. Right? That's the Weird. only one that's had a really good That is early, so strange. Has increased in its early time population Man, of steelhead, right? What, what could it be? Right. Either way, yeah. I, yeah. So needless to say, I'm not a real big, um, I'm not really like, Pinning up. I can't wait to see as this advisory group um, comes out with frameworks. There's a town hall on Thursday night, tomorrow night from after. Unfortunately, we're doing this podcast maybe a day early. Uh, but the reality is, is these discussions um, with the advisory group themselves, um, you know, need to be. I think the, those those three points need to be the discussion. Broodstock, right. where's the tribal stakeholders and why are they not looking? 
at these new studies. And is this part of that new study is, and you and I talked about a little bit, I just want to touch base for a second is what we haven't talked about at all. And that is predation, right? right. We talked about you and I just talked about it, but let's, you know, I've been guiding up there since 88 on the North Peninsula and we didn't have cormorants. Now we have a good population cormorant. We don't have the same problems on the Columbia, right, as we do on the Columbia down well, here. We lose, right? 40, we have, we lose we 40 percent of all salmon steel yeah. smolt in the estuary of the Columbia right. River. <laughs> we have we have we have sea lion problems yeah. to not to the degree, but what we do have is cormorant problems. And then when but, you look at the Sahala me, system, it's a triple whammy. You've got sea lion populations, mm-hmm. you've got major cormorant populations, and then in the Sahalas you have a robust smallmouth bass I'm going to go, I'm have to go check that out. <laughs> that yeah. has really increased in its size. Fine. That never used to be there. And so we have all these predation problems. So we're going to remove all the hatchery fish mm-hmm. or not. We're, gonna, we're not going to remove them. We mm. possibly mm. could be removing those mm-hmm. or decreasing the numbers in the efforts to help wild steelhead, which would be absolutely moot. Right point because we're not if doing you didn't the work. Do anything about all the population exactly. of the I, predators that are just going to eat all the smolts. Anyways, they're well, there anyways. And that's my point about like at what point in time do we have to assign accountability to our decision makers? I mean, because to me, it's almost negligence to look down this path and to completely ignore well those three things. And that just and that goes for every single basin. We're going to leave it at that. Because we have a live feed, and I cannot wait. I do want to say one oh, thing. Oh, we got to do one more thing. One Go for thing. <laughs> if I think more sportsmen, sportsmen would be involved in this <laughs> and be behind it if they actually saw things that were going to make a difference, like predator control. And that kind of stuff, right? If they said, hey, we're going to go in here, we're going to take oh, out cormorants, we're going to do that, right? Sportsmen would be a lot better I'd, about, I'd buy hey, a tag. I'll help you, or how do we yep. help, or we'll be behind this. But the fact that we're just basically cutting back on fishing, and we're going to cut back on hatcheries, and wild fish are going to come back, most and of us feel as sportsmen like, that's not enough. We've, it's not going to do we've anything, heard this and before. all we're going to do is lose out on another fishery and not see anything. And pretty soon that's not going to come be back the way of the Puget Sound or whatever on some of these populations. Some yeah. of them are really close to getting back over the hump. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of what we're doing, I think, is going to help. I think a couple others, that's not going to help. We're going to need a major overhaul to do it. And I don't think that we're addressing it enough to get a couple of our systems where they need to be. Wake up, or we're all going to be fishing three damn rivers down in Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, guys. Like I said before, Bob Kratzer, Steel North Coast Steel Advisory Group. And like I talked about at the beginning, be sure to check out the merch drop October 30th. Thanks for coming in. Yep. My pleasure, guys.